When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to the show. I'm Scott. And I'm Ben. As always, we are joined by our super producer, Noel the Explorer Brown. And uh, today we're going uh, we're going a little bit further from uh, the U.S., not too far. Eventually crossing through. Eventually. We're making our way. We're moseying on down. What are we talking about today, Scott? Well, today is the, I'll give you the Spanish name, Ben. It's the Expedición de las Americas. And uh, for those of us who do not have uh, Scott's uh, polyglot <laughs> skills, that is the Expedition of the Americas. Ah, uh, yes. I'm sure everybody kind of picked up on that. But this is something that happened <laughs> back in, uh, what, 1978 to 1979. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was a suggestion from a listener named Ben H. out of North Carolina. And Ben wrote in a long time ago. So I hope Ben's still listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is one of those ones that we picked up in our uh, um uh, nuts and bolts, or maybe uh-huh. it was a listener mail episode. Mm-hmm. I think we did where we caught up from a long time ago, months and months ago. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and this is one of those topics. And I thought this was an amazing story. This really, this is this could be like an epic tale, really. Oh yeah. However, we're gonna you know keep it brief, and we'll uh, we'll let you investigate it a little bit on your own <laughs> as well, because there is a uh, there's a 27 minute I think d- documentary mm-hmm. on this whole thing, this whole trip from beginning to end. And it's well done. It's very 1970s, the narration and the uh, the music. And it almost has some folk music along the way that was written specifically for this. Um, it, it's it's an interesting watch. So if you get a chance to to watch the, the, the video that goes along with this, please do. Mm-hmm. You can find it on YouTube or Vimeo or a lot of those places. Um, but let's uh, let's just let's start right from the beginning, Ben, because, um, well, you know what? How about this? All right. We'll just tell everybody what it's all about first, and then we'll just start from the beginning and tell them like, some of the hardships that they had along the way. Oh, yeah. Um, so, so the idea is that this group of guys, that these, these off-road enthusiasts, mm-hmm. um, none are really professional, I don't think. Um, they are going to take on the Pan-American Highway from beginning to end. And not only that, they're going to go – they're going to extend it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. They're going to go a slightly different route because they want to go from the – Southernmost tip of the Americas, which is way, way, way down in um, uh, Chile, right? Yeah, it's in Chile. That's right. It's uh, it's Tierra del Fuego, Chile, which is the southernmost point of the of South America. And then they were going to go all the way north to Prudhoe Bay, mm-hmm. and that's the north. Well, roughly the northernmost part of 
North America that you can get to. Close enough for government work. This is a team of 14 intrepid off-roaders led by a gentleman named Mark A. Smith. Yeah, Mark Smith. Now, Mark is a, um, well, he's a, he's an off-road enthusiast. And I'll, I have to read maybe a description of who this guy is just so you get an idea of, of what he's up to here. Mm-hmm. But he's, he's the founder of what we know as the Jeep Jamboree. Mm-hmm. Way back, way back in the 1950s, and it was just kind of started because he loved jeeps. He liked he liked driving them. So, um, let's see. Here's here's a here's a maybe the best description of him. He's the son of a miner, and he grew up in Nevada and San Francisco. So he, he I think mostly mostly in San Francisco area. Um, he served time as a marine near the end of World War II, where he drove his first jeep. So at the end of World War II, that's his very first experience. And in 1951, he settled in Georgetown, California. And he worked as a logger and a sheriff and eventually went into real estate. He founded the Jeepers Jamboree in 1953. So <laughs> he's been doing this a long time at this and point. We've talked about Jeep Jamboree on the show before. I think we have. And yeah. Camp Jeep and all mm-hmm. those other, you know, Jeep mm-hmm. 101. And uh, there's a lot of off-road activities around or, or um, gatherings, I guess, around mm-hmm. the Jeep brand and other off-road brands, too. But Jeep seems to have uh, this this... Uh, this huge, huge following, and it goes all the way back to the 1950s when he organized the Jeepers Jamboree, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I think that eventually just became the Jeep Jamboree. Yeah, uh, and it really took off in '54 uh, when Willie's Motors got involved. Yeah, that's right. And so you know, it's like a worldwide thing now. I mean, yeah. people come from all over the world, and he continued to sponsor and drive Jeep events all across the country for another six decades after after you know he initially did this in the 1950s. So. Uh, it's been a long, you know, he's been around doing this a long time. He's he's not around anymore. I, I believe he passed away, and I think it was in 2014 when uh, when Mark passed away. But uh, we're talking about something that happened about 40 years ago now. So mm-hmm. he was not a young guy even then uh, when he did this. He was he was an older guy, not one of the oldest on the trip because the trip had a wide range of uh, of ages. Went from I think one guy was 19 who took this trek with him, and another guy was in his mid 60s, and then everything in between, and from all different walks of life, but like I said, none of these guys were really considered like I guess professional off-roaders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he passed away uh, at the age of eighty-seven. It was uh, June ninth, two thousand fourteen. Twenty fourteen, and you know what? You're going to find a lot of photos of of him standing next to uh, at least one of those jeeps from from this uh, this excursion we're talking about, and they're they're red yeah. CJ sevens. So I mean, even as an old timer, he's he's still around the Jeep product, and I'm I'm sure that he was driving probably right up until the day he died. Almost, you know, this right. is the, that's his kind of thing. It's his lifestyle. But what a trip these guys took back in 1978. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so this is around about twenty thousand miles of road of travel, mm-hmm. and I and you'll see why I say travel instead of road all the way because that's. At times, the definition gets stretched, and at times, it doesn't apply. So they took all Jeep CJ models and uh, left 1978 on one of the most epic road trips in history. And you know we love to explore road trips. Uh, Scott, you mentioned some of the – you alluded to some of the trials and travails the group would encounter in their journey. And let's get one of these out of the way, depending on how you want to do this. We have to mention Darien's Gap. Oh, sure. Darien's Gap. So the Pan American Highway is a a fascinating thing. And if you ever get the chance to travel it, first, take it. You know, even if you can't go all the way, it's a network of roads that's about 
90,000 miles in total length, and it links up almost all of the countries in North and South America. But there's one place in that road, and it's called Darien Gap. Yeah, the Darien Gap. Now, this is an interesting bit of terrain here because this is, uh, as we said, it's jungle, it's swamp. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really, uh, it's almost like impenetrable jungle, really. It's, yeah. it's very, very dense. Even you, you can't really walk across this. And here are these guys with six Jeeps and 14 people, and they're going to try to make their way through. Right. This is some nasty territory to try to drive through. It's it's beautiful from a naturalist perspective, but when it comes to a road trip, it's one of the... Um, one of the biggest pains in the keister you could imagine. It's located, <laughs> it's located in Central America in, uh, the northern portion of Colombia and into Panama. Yeah. And it's super expensive to try to build roads here or even a, a lot of development that would not be unreasonable in other places is, is very difficult and the environmental cost is, is very, is very tough. Add to that the fact that this would have to span across these two countries in that area, and there's a political part to it as well. So this is the infamous missing link of the Pan-American Highway. Yeah, it's a place where they're not going to pave. They're not going to put a bridge in. They're not going to uh, not going to cut a way through there. And the reason, or there's reasons, I should say, that they're not going to do that. Um, and it's kind of controversial. They've actually kind of started to do that, and then right. and then backed it down. That was back in the early 1970s, like 1971, I think, or the, at least the planning stages. Um, they halted it in 1974 after environmentalists raised some concerns. I think it was, uh, you know, just. About cutting down the jungle, you know, getting cutting away through there and allowing traffic to go through that area. Um, another effort to build the uh, to build a road through there began around 1992, uh, but by 1994, uh, the UN United Nations Agency reported that the road and the subsequent d- development that would go along with it would cause extensive environmental damage. So again, environmental damage. They they tried about 20 years apart to do it, but uh, they got you know pushed back again. And then another reason. This is this is maybe. One of the better reasons for them to not do this, I think. And, of course, the environmental is important, but listen to this, Ben. Mm. There's evidence that the Darien Gap has prevented the spread of diseased cattle into Central and Northern America because it's a complete block. You can't get through there. So uh, they have not seen uh, foot and mouth disease since 1954, and at least since the 1970s, it's been a substantial factor in preventing the road going through the Darien Gap. So it's not just... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that they don't want to cut down the jungle. They don't want to put pavement where there wasn't pavement before. Uh, they are, they're concerned about getting, uh, foot and mouth disease, you know, with, with, with cattle mm-hmm. crossing back and forth. So it's a smart move, I think, on their part. Um, also, there's the potential erosion of the indigenous people's culture, you know, that, uh, you know, that, um, that right now keeps them separate. And that is, uh, in a way, that's good. I mean, yeah. of course, it's always good to integrate a bit, you know, but, um, this is, it, it, it's also going to erode that that uh, that culture. It's going to um, uh, uh, what am I looking for? It's going to it's going to assimilate it. It'll, it's going to assimilate the people in some way. It could lead to exploitation because, unfortunately, what we've seen throughout history is that when there are native populations, native peoples uh, living in that kind of isolation, uh, the modern world often has. Um, Dangerous effects, you know, 
dilute. That was the word I was looking dilute. for. Yeah, that's I was a good for, word. Yeah, yeah gonna, that's a good word. Dilute the culture, I guess, in a bit, in a way. Well, yeah, that's part of it, but it could also lead to um, dying out of a language. It can also lead to uh, ex- exploitation of individuals for various purposes. Also, there could be uh, like a, d- a disease factor. Exactly, that's uh, a good know, one. Just not the immunity to the same things. Never and, been exposed. And, exactly right, and uh, th- so there's a lot of issues with that. And th- again, this this Darien Gap bit here, th- we're we're focusing on that right now, but. Prior to this, there's 10,000 miles of travel, and then after this, there's another 10,000 miles right, of travel. Right, yeah. So this is an important thing here. This, this, this Daring Gap, they said, is the, kind of like the crux of the whole expedition. And honestly, like to, to just look at this, I mean, to look at the wall of jungle that they had to drive into yeah. is incredible. So how did they do it? How did they get Jeep vehicles through this jungle that, oh, by the way, it had been crossed only once before, Prior to this, and there was a British army, I believe, that did it on foot. It took them months of time to get this army through there, and they lost a lot of men. They uh, they, they had a significant death toll uh, as they tried to get through, and uh, also they had a lot of, um, well, I guess um, illnesses from mosquito bites and you know things like that along the way. So it was, it was very almost like a, a crippling journey for them to get through. And these guys are going to try to do it in a in a short short amount of time with jeeps, and they did it in just thirty days. They crossed it in thirty days. With the help of indigenous tribes and the Colombian army. Now that's important because these guys were the ones that walked out front with machetes in hand. Yeah. Cut the old, you know, undergrowth away and the vines and all that, you know, left behind some of the bigger trees and things for the, you know, those guys to cut down. Uh, but they were chopping this, uh, you know, the, this trail. They knew exactly how wide they had to cut it and how high they had to cut it. Right. They made a tunnel pretty much through the jungle and allowed them to drive through. I and mean, we're talking like, Sometimes just yards at a time. I mean, I mean during a day. Right. This is a very dense area, and these were stock jeeps. These were just regular CJ sevens. They weren't. They didn't have a whole. What I'm saying is they didn't have a whole bunch of. Uh, I don't know what you would imagine when you think of jungle modifications. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Good point, Ben. Because they like they didn't have the the factory. Um, you know, build them special equipment. Right. That's maybe the best way. They, like stock. Yeah, they were stock. I agree, but they had 31 inch tires. They also had. I'm sure they had some reinforcements in areas yeah. that they themselves put on. Uh, but it was pretty much stock jeep. So they head out and they've got this in- incredible sense of adventure, and they, they're just, just like. The, the epitome of Boy Scout mentality, you know, the be prepared thing, right? Like they're, they're prepared for everything. They've got these special built ladders that are on top of the vehicles. They've got, um, um, of course, welding equipment is on board because I think they did end up breaking an axle while they were in the, uh, in the jungle. Uh, they use winches to pull themselves up ridges when they can't drive up because the, these are steep. You know, they're going over washes and things, you know, that you can't get over. And so what they do is they would cut away the undergrowth. Lay down these uh, these metal looks like they look like ladders almost. I think mm-hmm. they were aluminum. I think yeah. or maybe not. But they were they were lightweight. They would lay down these aluminum ladders and they would drive over them. They're special built, of course, you know, to, to withstand withstand the weight. Uh, but they would almost become engineers in a way, in the way that they figured out how to uh, how to make these ladders work to get over these sometimes thirty foot deep washes. Sometimes they were five feet. You know, they were mm-hmm. they were varying in size as they crossed this jungle area. But uh, what a trek! I mean, and to watch them do that. It's really pretty clever how they did it. It's almost like those trucks that would lay out the road in front of them. You have to move slowly and surely. Also, they didn't cross, they didn't make the entirety of the gap uh, by traveling on land. They spent a lot of time traveling by barge uh, across what's known as the Atrato, Atrato River uh, in Colombia. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. 
Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune into what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, so they went on barge, and I also saw if you if you watch this uh, this film, and I encourage you to watch it. It's again twenty seven minutes, but it's it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Part of this, the way they crossed one of the rivers, and I don't think it was in the Gap. I think it was maybe somewhere else, out, you know, maybe in Mexico somewhere or something. But um, this is so interesting. They would drive. They had to, of course, hack a trail down to the river bank. They drive down, and then they laid those uh, those those ladders that I was telling you about. You know, the ones mm-hmm. that they drive over. They laid them across canoes. You have to picture like maybe three canoes, really long dugout type canoes, you know, like almost like um, like tree trunks, you know, yeah. but really long, uh, three of them in a row. And you would drive across them, not, not you know, with them, but across mm-hmm. them on those ladders. And then people would get in the water and then push the canoes sideways across the river to get them across. And then they would drive off the ladders and onto the other side. It was, it was brilliant. And I don't know if I would trust, I mean, looking at what they were floating on, I don't know if I would trust the weight of a, a full jeep on there yeah and because it's loaded down with all of their expedition equipment too all the food all the uh, water filtration stuff you know um they're they're heavy they're not really lightweight vehicles um it, i don't know to me that was one of those things that just really stood out in this in this film is like man these guys are just so clever about how they're getting across they had to have had that planned out well ahead of time right this is a slowly but surely rin- wins the race kind of strategy yeah. which is as we can see, the only one that'll work there. Before we talk more about the different things they faced, uh, I got to tell you, I know I jumped straight to Darian's Gap, but it's because it's a fascinating 
patch of land. I mean, it's big to call it a patch. But, Scott, there's another thing we didn't talk about, which is that on a personal, like a social level, Darien's Gap is dangerous. It is, it is, uh, it's been described as a refuge for the lawless. Really? Because it's impenetrable. Yeah. Well, because it's, you know, not impenetrable, but. It's a great, it's a great hideout. Yeah. It's a great hideout, actually. Yeah. And you can, you can read different depictions of some of the settlements or areas in there. One in particular is a place called Yaviza. Uh, which is famous for being lawless. It's, it's described as, get this man, a magnet for fugitives, poachers, and bootleggers. Now, Yaviza is on the north end. That's exact, that's the last, I guess that's the town where the road ends and the, and yeah, the gap begins. Exactly. And on, right the on the other edge. side, you know what the name of the one is on the south side? What's the one on the south side? Turbo. Turbo. It's named Turbo. Yeah. <laughs> T-U-R-B-O. Turbo. Yeah. It's an interesting name, but so they traveled between Turbo and Yaviza through this jungle. And as we said, they were hacking away all this stuff, you know, along the way. And you said it's dangerous through there yeah, as well. Yeah. Totally get that. They said mosquitoes were a constant issue for them. Uh, you know, the temperatures. Oh my gosh. We didn't even talk about the temperatures. Oh, right. We have to up to like 105 degrees during the day. And then, uh, you know, w- of course, humidity is Fahrenheit for our international friends. Yeah. That's 105 degrees Fahrenheit. And uh, humidity was nearly 100% the entire time. So this trip had to be pretty miserable on these guys along the way. And, oh, we did also say this. Hmm. As they were chopping, you know, they would chop a few yards at a time and just some some days they would only go maybe 500 feet at the most. And other days, as they got this rhythm going, as they figured out, you know, the choppers knew just how much to cut down and what they needed, uh, they got a better rhythm going. And they could go, then go, you know, three, four, or even five miles a day, mm-hmm. which was a huge jump because uh, we're talking about, you know, covering a, a pretty good distance here. So, yeah. Um, and by the time they got to the end of it, you know, when they're when they're exiting, the trail on the south side was already overgrown again. It was gone. Yeah. There's no more trail. So it's not like, you know, this trail was going to remain for a long time or it did any permanent damage. Mm-hmm. Uh, the jungle healed itself so quickly that, uh, that there was no trace of them anymore uh, on the south side. That's incredible to me. Mm-hmm. It took, and it's what, 31 days, I said? For a jungle there? to be that voracious. Yeah. yeah, 31 days to get through there. So it gives you an idea of just how quickly this uh, this thing can heal itself. It's it's really remarkable. I bet I bet if you did build a highway through there, Maintenance, like just daily maintenance, would be unbelievable. It's almost like when they build a a, um, a highway through a desert or something. You, know, yeah. you have to watch the sand blowing over, like uh, almost like snow would drift over a road. Right, and there's another consideration too with the road construction there, which is that. Well, here's the best way to put it. The dilemma is this: it is possible at great expense to build a road through that area. However, to build a road through that area that would last and be drivable, you would have to you would have to raise parts of it. You know what I mean? Like oh, yeah. sow the earth with salt kind of stuff. Yeah. And you would have to destroy a vast amount of it to make it happen because you essentially one way or the other you'd be cutting it in half. That's you know what, how the road know what, works. You know what I just love about all this. I mean, it, along the way, they they really. I mean, they knew sort of what to expect, but they didn't know everything. Yeah. You know so. They set out these these uh, these fifteen guys. They set out, and they all have to be just excellent problem solvers, and they all have to count on each other. They all have to to know they, the other one's got their back. 
they all have to really like trust one another in order to make this work. Because if, if one person isn't pulling their weight or if they're not doing what they're supposed to do or they mm-hmm. give up or they're, uh, you know, they get homesick and they want to stop the thing or whatever. Game over. It is because all these guys, they're just like, gen- I mean, just in general, they're just people from ordinary walks of life. I mean, they have jobs, they have families. The families, you know, in a lot of cases just said, just go do it. When are you ever going to have uh, you know, four months opportunity to to do something like this ever again in your life, and you're going to get to see all of uh, all of the Americas. Do it, you know, just go. So they had a lot of support from their families, um, you know, and and the camaraderie between the guys on this trip. You're going to see that in that film too, just how yeah. well they get along. At the end of the trip, you would think that maybe there's a little, you know, a little friction between them, but they were happy, <laughs> they were happier than ever at the end. They were they were just they were almost sad to have to uh, you know go back to their normal lives as I can imagine. You know, going back to work would be a little difficult after something like this. Uh, but at the end, they were just super happy that they had done it. They were they were excited about you know these lifelong friends now that they had made. Um, and again, it all worked out perfectly in the end. They 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 worked together well. They they all were excellent problem solvers. It was it's just a it's an interesting time. For all of them, I'm sure. And it's, and it's fun for us to look at and read about. Yeah. Uh, while they were in the gap, they had to use a filtration system to get water and they, they lived on like freeze dried fruit and stuff. Yeah. And, uh, well, I'm, they have vegetables and meat, but they had to bring their own rations is the point. Well, for that part of it. Yeah. Because the yeah. other rest of the time they're in, t- they're stopping in towns and things. Right. Like, yeah. Or, or they camping, go through, you know? you know, they go through Costa Rica, Panama City, you know, uh, they, these, they go through places that, are inhabited, um, but that it's still there's still some things that they have to deal with, right? Like uh, crushing temperatures in oh, sure. ma- many parts of the trip. Yeah, well, okay, the 105 degrees right. in the in the gap, mm-hmm. but then when you get up to Prudhoe Bay, it's it's 50 below zero, mm-hmm. so they've got to pre- you know be prepared for all that too. Like the difference in, in temperatures, they said, uh, you know, just that example right there, 105 to 50 below with a wind chill. They said that's like 155 degrees in variance, you know, that they have to deal with on this one trip. And I know it's, uh, you know, it's some, some time apart because this whole thing took 122 days. Right. And think about the effects on the engines, too. Oh, yeah, the equipment. That's got to be extremely difficult on them. But but as I said, you know, they ended up this whole thing with uh, with one broken axle. And I think that happened in the gap because I saw them welding on that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. On that film and five flat tires. That's it. Between all six Jeeps. All fifteen guys, they they kept the equipment in such good shape that uh, that it that it worked out really well. Which is a bargain when you think about it. It really is. I mean, <laughs> you'd almost expect that in your your family sedan if you're going to. No make this one's trip. grievously injured. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Oh yeah, that, that's the thing is like no one really like there were there were no fatalities. There were no you know nobody had to be hauled off to the hospital or anything like that. It that was we uh, know of. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> no, I mean it all seemed to go really well. I mean they had they had they had planned for everything, and uh, I'm sure there were some you know cuts and bruises and scrapes along the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's just the way it worked. Because there, again, in the gap, I keep going back to the gap stuff because that's the most interesting part of this whole thing, really, right. to, to me, anyways. Uh, we'll talk about some other regions in a moment that maybe interest other people. But um, they were using their own bodies as you know ballast weight in the jungle, you know, to get over some of these uh, these ridges and you know through the washes and things. So you'll see footage of you know guys hanging on, and suddenly the you know the jeep will jerk violently to the right, right and yeah. everybody falls off to the left you know into the onto the jungle floor but no one gets like you know broken bones or anything like that along the way would you so, do this would i do this yeah you're a growing business which means you need every spare hour you can find that's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in slack 
Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Right now, I probably wouldn't with, uh, you know, the family situation, but if I, if younger, if I was a younger Scott Benjamin, yes, I would. Yeah, I would, I would do it. You have to refer to yourself in third person. Oh, okay. Okay. So you, you would say right now, that's not Scott. I, I would absolutely, uh, I would absolutely sign on to something like this, especially if I could get the time off work. Or maybe I could just record remotely. What do you think, Scott? Can I? I'll do my side of it from a yeah, from a jeep like in the a jungle. Satellite phone. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Why not? If they can do it from Everest. You might as well do it from there, right? Yeah. Why right. not? <laughs> why not? All right. So how about this? Let's let's back it up just a little bit because right. we said you know the gap is is really fascinating. It's it's interesting stuff, and that's probably the most to talk about there, really. But when they left the southernmost tip, you know, down in Chile. Mm-hmm. They had some serious territory to cross there as well. I mean, there were, there, again, 10,000 miles to get to the gap. So when they left, you know, the first few days were somewhat easy compared to the rest of the trip. I mean, it was, uh, you know, it was cruising right along. But let's get this out of the way, too. They had to cross the Andes Mountains three times before they got to the gap. So, you know, one of the one of the crossings is almost right away. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's still, again, relatively easy. It's beautiful scenery along the way, but they're traveling something like 400, 500, even 600 miles each day at first. So, you know, by the time they get to day six, I think, um, you know, they're, they're still in, they're still in Chile, I believe at that point. 
Um, but they, they meet up with like, you know, Chilean cowboys and they're, you know, having barbecues with them and, you know, trying to really soak in the culture along the way. They're not just driving through and, you know, not really paying attention to what's happening around them. They're, they're getting the culture. They're, they're getting the scenery. Uh, by day 13, they're back in the Andes mountains again. These again, huge mountains. This is the second time. Um, really challenging at this point though, in that second, uh, the, the second crossing to stay on schedule because, um, at this point, you got to imagine what it's like to travel 600 miles every day in a Jeep vehicle with, you know, two or three other guys. It's got to be, yeah. it's got to be tough. I mean, it's, it's a real test of endurance. Um, maybe not quite as tough as like, you know, the guys that ride the thousand mile, uh, thousand miles a day for two weeks or whatever. Uh-huh. Remember the Iron Butt rally? Yeah. Do you remember that? Uh-huh. Maybe it's not that difficult, but it's, uh, it's got to be pretty tough on them. And, and knowing that they've got another, uh, what, 110 days ahead of them, that's tough. That's tough to, to stomach something like that, but uh, they did it. They stuck with it, and by day 21, they had left the mountains behind, and they were in the Atacama Desert, and <laughs> this is described as the land that God forgot, <laughs> and the reason, that, you know, this it took them two days, but the reason they say that is because there's zero life in the Atacama Desert. Yeah, this plateau in South America, it's it's a strip of land. It's the driest let me see if I can qualify this correctly. The driest de- non-polar desert in the world. It's just absolutely barren. There's just nothing there. And when I said lifeless, I mean that. I mean, they search for life on this all the time. They, or not all the time, but they did. And there's nothing. No plant life, no animal life, nothing. It's just a, this barren wasteland. And they cross that for, it takes them two days to get across that. So no oasis in sight, you know, midway or anything like that. But uh, driving it you know, long, long distances. I don't know if they're covering four or five or 600 miles a day and they're driving two days across this thing. That's got to be a huge desert area. I don't know the, the distance that, that that was or not. But after they after they left that, uh, they were on to Peru. And of course, that meant crossing the Andes for the third time. Yeah. Uh, which, again, interesting. Here, This is something interesting here. I, I thought they, um, they had stayed together through the whole thing. But I found out watching that film that they actually broke up into smaller groups. They decided that they were going to choose an adventure. Uh, when they got into the Peru area. Uh-huh. So, so they had three groups and one went to, one group went to Lake Titicaca, which is a, a, uh, well, it's a, it's a lake that's 12,000 feet in the air mm-hmm. in the Andes Mountains. I didn't know it was that high. Uh, another group went to Machu Picchu, which is a, uh, well, it's a, like a deserted city, right? From the 15th century, mm-hmm. the lost city of the Inca. I mean, I think everybody knows what, uh, Machu Picchu, Machu Picchu is. is. Yeah. They, they rediscovered it again in 1911, I think it was. Um, and then another group went to, um, Iguazu Falls, which is uh, just an enormous uh, waterfall uh, right there in the Andes region. So I thought that was interesting. They, they joined back up again when they got to Bogota, uh, mm-hmm. Bogota, Colombia, and they were still, or I guess I should say this, it, they were at that point, they were 10,000 miles away from the starting point. So it's been a long journey already. Right. Uh, but they joined back up again in, in the city, and uh, I would guess they kind of got themselves together because the next step here would be right. the carrying gap. This is really the crucible in which the group proves its mettle and under undergoes the test. As we said in the beginning, they do make it through uh, without any grievous injury, yep. and the forest swallows their path behind them. 
Yeah, what, 31 days? 31 days, mm-hmm. and uh, they still have another 10,000 miles to go. Yeah, 10,000 10, 10, miles north. And, but see, now at this point, they're, uh, they're in Central America, mm-hmm. and they're traveling through a region where you used to live for a while. They're going to go through Guatemala as one, mm-hmm. of, the, one of the places, right? Yeah. They go through, uh, we should just say, they go through Panama City, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, Honduras, Guatemala, and then through Mexico. So have you ever been on the uh, Pan American Highway? I bet you have. I don't believe I have, Scott. Unfortunately, you were in, so you were in Guatemala, but you were in a different part of Guatemala mm-hmm. as it ran through there. Yeah, I've uh, I've had the good fortune to be on just a little bit of this. I I happened to notice it while I was on a, a bus or something, you know, going uh-huh. somewhere. I don't remember where. It I was hit in, you, huh? I was in um, I was in Costa. I've been in Costa Rica, so I think I might have been on it twice, but just again, very brief bits of time, you know, like near the airport or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so nothing, you know, no adventure or anything like that. Nothing like what these guys were up to. And then after they get out of Mexico, Ben, I mean, there's, got, there's got to be kind of a sense of relief once they cross over into the United States. And, oh, for and, sure. And that's because these are all Americans. I don't know if we mentioned that before, but it's kind of like a homecoming. You know, it's like uh, you get a little bit homesick for uh, the way of life that you're accustomed to, really. And, th- and that's uh, that's what they experienced just as they crossed and over because they had a big cookout. They had, you know, <laughs> hamburgers and, and baked beans and stuff like that. You know, they had a, a big campfire-looking uh um, almost looked like a chuck wagon had pulled up or something to, to feed them. It was it was not exactly that, but it was uh, like a, an American style homecoming, I suppose. Right, right, for right. These guys. So they were all happy, and and they still got a long way to go because they're headed up towards um, headed up towards Alaska. Yeah, through British Columbia. They're going to go all the way up. And you know, now that I'm thinking about it, just to go back to it, I'm kind of bummed, Scott. That I lived in Guatemala and didn't go on the no, You know what? I didn't mean to bring up a sore issue, so I apologize. But, but uh, is it possible that I may have and not recognize that's, it? That's what I'm thinking. I think because it cuts right through there, and you did a lot of bus travel and stuff while you were there, right? I mean, you did some... some you, you got around a bit while you were there. It wasn't like you were in one village or something, right? No, no. I, I, did, a, I did a little bit of traveling. You know what? I'm just going to tell myself that I was on it and I didn't recognize it. And then I'll go back. I'm willing to bet that you at some point were on it and didn't realize it because I, that, that's what happened to me. And the only reason I saw it was because I could see out the front window and read a, a road sign. Well, I was young, but I still feel like I would have known. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully you were. Hopefully, yes. Hopefully let's it's just part tell of our, history. Like you said, let's just tell ourselves. Or tell, <laughs> you can tell yourself maybe that you right. were. All right. Fair enough. Fair so, enough. So they're headed up through... Um, you know, like the up to the northern border, I guess, with Canada, through British Columbia, and then into mm-hmm. Yukon Territory. Uh, you know, on you know, I, I guess we could even describe that whole road along the way. We that's another podcast there. But yeah. once they get up into Alaska, uh, they go they have to go through um, another mountain range at the northern end of Alaska called the Brooks Range, and, uh, and then from you know from there, of course, you know, on to Bruto Bay. But uh, when they were in the Brooks Range, I guess, they, they had extremely heavy snow that they didn't expect. They, they knew it was going to be snowy, but they didn't expect it to be quite as snowy as it was. Mm-hmm. Um, they said that visibility was cut down to something like 25 feet at one point. And, again, the temperature is 50 below zero with a wind chill, so it's an extreme situation. But the, the equipment held up. The uh, the Jeeps were fine, um, and they, they made it. I mean, there was no real drama, at, you know, from that snowstorm or anything other than mm-hmm. just trying to get through it with everybody together all in one time. Yeah. Uh, but when they got to Prudhoe Bay, it looked like it was uh, extremely bitter cold, and they were all celebrating, of course, you know, because mm-hmm. they had made their or finished their journey. Um, then there's, a, like, kind of the sort of a sad part in the whole the whole film where all the guys are, you know, congratulating each other, but then they, later, you know, 
you can tell this is it's not in Alaska, of course. You know, they're they're back wherever they are. Right. And uh, doing interviews, standing next to the jeeps, and they're they're talking about the the trip, and they're all a bit sad to return to daily life and have to go back to work again after nearly five months off. Or yeah. was it nearly four months? I think it's nearly four, four months. Four months, 122 um, days. Yeah, 122 days. They've traveled 21,000 miles together, solved all these issues together. They've become lifelong friends. They're, they're sure they, uh, they have a, a good relationship with each other. So, mm-hmm. um, now I can see where this would be a huge letdown to have to just kind of scatter and go your own way at that point. You'd want to kind of, you'd want to continue the adventure. Yeah. Like, hey, everybody, let's, let's go, uh, let's go to the east side of Canada. And we've all felt this. Uh, in some form or another when you're done with, let's say, listeners out there who are still school age when you have to go back to school at the end of summer or, you know, camp is over or something like that. Yeah, I was going to make the comparison with like a, a class trip. Yeah, a class trip. That's a great. That's a great comparison too, because you get the camaraderie yeah, in there. Bonds are formed that you know you're having a great time, and you don't want it to end. And it's only a weekend, or maybe it's a week, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, you just don't want it to end. You'd like it to continue on. But if it did, you know, it might not turn It'd end up so magic. well. It would lose the magic. And, you're right. And I guess family vacations could be another comparison, but that really depends on how you feel about your family, which is none of our business. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. That can go either way, right? Yeah. So uh, what's so fascinating, I think, about Mark Smith is both his enterprising and intrepid nature, but also his devotion to Jeeps, man. Oh, yeah, lifelong devotion. I mean, from the moment he drove one, what, in 19, well, the end of World War II, yeah, right? Yeah. So, yeah, in the 40s. Um, and, and then he did it for decades after that. And he's always pictured next to Jeeps. So yeah. we know that for, you know, six decades after that, he, he maintained that love of the Jeep product and his, his role as a leader, like in, mm. in, in crossing the Rubicon Trail and Jeep Jamborees and all that. He was, he was a part of that whole thing right up until probably right when he died. And as the Templar said to Indiana Jones, he's, well, to paraphrase the Templar, uh, Mark chose wisely because look, guys, I love Monte Carlos, but there's not a way I'm getting that thing through the Darien Gap, you know? Uh, <laughs> Probably not. Yeah, so a Monte Carlo couldn't go there. A lot of cars couldn't, and that includes, and there's a bit of a silver lining, Honda Odysseys. Oh, that's true. <laughs> yeah. So you will not encounter a Honda Odyssey if you were somewhere in the Darien Gap. One of its main selling points. Well, maybe you should, uh, that's maybe where you should camp out. Of course, it's it's full of thieves and robbers, right? That's what we I guess now. maybe on the edges, but you know, it's it's pretty sparsely populated in the interior. So yeah, that's true. That's it's, true. It's one of those places where you go a long time without seeing a person. But also, you know, uh, also when we when we think about this amazing sense of adventure, and again, the fact that these were not specialized one-off built vehicles, it, it's it's pretty inspiring to realize just what people are capable of when they when they set their minds to a goal and i love that you mentioned you know there had to be a bit of sadness and you know there were probably proposals to like hey let's uh let's go start at the tip of russia of siberian russia do it again and drive across which would be a very different trip yeah it sure would yeah there's a it's a thing like this is a this is its own unique thing and honestly, if you want to get the, the, the best feel for this story, and I, I hope that most of our podcasts are like this for you, that and when we describe something or try to describe something, and we're doing our best, you know, the best that we can with the, with the medium that we have. But um, if we had video to go along with this, I'd be able to show you some incredible footage from this, this trip. And 
you should search it out and look for it. I mean, if even if you just you know skim through it real quick and, and look at a little bit of it here and there. Uh, but I do I do recommend watching the whole thing. It's 27 minutes long, and it really gives you the beginning to end of this whole journey and what they had to go through. And, and it's in their own words. A lot of them, right. you know, there's there's footage taken along the way, some really great footage, some spectacular footage of, you know, the scenery mm-hmm. and uh, the trials and tribulations they had to go through in the gap. It's just, it's it's amazing. It's really, it's really well done. And again, 1970s, late 1970s, early 1980s. So be kind to it uh, in the comments with that. But, it looks very 70s. Uh, we could yeah. probably post that up on social media as well if uh, yeah, you'd I like to check why. it out. There's a YouTube link. Yeah, I don't see why not. I yeah. can do that. And then uh, this also makes me think of a question uh, for you, ladies and gentlemen. Do you have a dream road trip? And, and if so, what what is it? It doesn't have to be... You know, uh, spanning two continents and what seventeen countries? It can be, uh, it can be as as simple as you know, like my dream road trip is to uh, go to my grandfather's house or to drive to the Grand Canyon or something. Uh, in in my case, for my dream road trips, which is crazy, of course is I want to drive from uh, Eastern Asia all the way to uh, the coast of, of Spain or France. Hmm. That's, a, that's quite a trip. Yeah. You, have you ever calculated how, how many miles and all that that is? I mean, have you ever, like, I, I don't want to hold you to those numbers right now, but have you ever done the calculation to figure out how far it would be and how long it would take you? And I mean, have you, you know, investigated it or just really kind of dreamed it at this point? I, I haven't yet, and I probably I probably should. If, if I want to make this happen at some point, I need to start calculating the distances, cost of gas, which countries will and will not let me in because I have a bit of a past. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of people dream of, uh, you know, the old Route 66 thing here in the United yeah. States. Yeah, oh, yeah, for I'm sure. sure that there are, you know, European versions of this, you know, that they mm-hmm. have like an old route that uh, is no longer, you know, the, the primary route anymore. Mm-hmm. That's more picturesque than it is, uh, you know, quick, I guess. It's, mm-hmm. not, it's not the fastest way to get somewhere, but it's the, the best way to I mean, get somewhere. Yeah, I think road trips... In, in some ways are like modern day you know, pilgrimages, you know, and people might go out. So, and I don't mean the religious connotation. I just mean this, this traveling for a purpose that makes the journey as important as the destination. Yeah. You know, a lot of times when I am traveling now, I find that when I get there, I, I'm, I'm almost kind of bored. You know, it's like you get on the highway and you know, <laughs> I, a lot of roads are like this, but like I 75, we travel I 75 a lot oh, north yeah. and south. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, it's it's kind of the same thing. There's there's gas stations and you know restaurants and everything along sure. the way. It's very convenient to travel. It's very fast. Hmm. But what you see along the way is not all that spectacular. Yeah, it becomes uh, homogenous after a certain amount of time. Yeah, you get no idea of the little towns that you're going past now. You know, it used to be that you would go either through them or right next to them, but you were on smaller roads. You were on like state roads. Well, sure. Yeah, it was a lot smaller. You know, even if it was two lanes one way, but or. or you know, even one lane each way, um, you got to see a lot more of, of um, I, I guess, these these uh, Americana, I guess, maybe is a better yeah. way to say. It. You got to see a lot more of these tiny towns. And, and um, of course, it took a lot longer to get wherever you're going. I get that. But um, I, I oftentimes will like to pull off the highway and take the smaller roads 
to get to the, the the final destination. You know, maybe not the whole way because you have to get there kind of quick. You know, right. time constraints with jobs or school or whatever. Yeah, I, but, I do that when I'm driving as well. Yeah, it's nice to you know maybe maybe you know a planned stop. You know, a hundred miles away, and then mm. from that point on to your final destination, you're going to take the old route. Yeah, I'm a sucker for the regional. Uh, I guess the the regional icons or, or things of note. You know, like I will stop. If I, if I'm driving by myself, I will stop any time I see a sign for a museum I've never heard of, or you know, historic uh, mounds are this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I've I've stopped at some things that were obviously tourist traps, but that's part of it, and that's part of what makes these so great. You know, for those of you who are out there who are as interested in road trips as Scott and I are. Uh, why not check out some of our earlier podcasts? We have one on the very first road trip, yeah, which is a great story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have uh, we have several. Yeah, road trip I think episodes. we we did, even did one on uh, roadside attractions, didn't we? <laughs> we and did. How summer scams and summer <laughs> those are funny. Some of them are really really. Oh funny. yeah, yeah. World's uh, fourth largest frying pan. Yeah, things, things like, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, you see the giant squirrel or something. Uh-huh. You know, crazy things like that. That you end up. You know, you pay five bucks and then you go through a. Uh, a uh, a maze made out of hay that you can't see where you're headed to, and then they show you some paper mache squirrel or something. And <laughs> I mean, it's silly, but you know, you, it's fun. It's also a lot of fun. Or the mystery spots, you know. Yeah. We've got a whole episode on just those, and it's mm-hmm. way, way back in our history. So, you know, go to go to uh, Car Stuff Show. Yes, carstuffshow.com. And, and that way you can find it, because you're not going to find that one on iTunes. It's, no. it's way too far in the past. That's a deep cut, my friends. Yes. Uh, but you can find those episodes along with every episode we have ever done on the website Scott just mentioned. Uh, you may have heard us mention uh, some social media. That's right. Even though uh, even though we're, we can be a bit curmudgeonly on our show, we, we're with the times. We're hip. We know about the Internet. <laughs> you know, uh, true story. We're on Facebook and Twitter where we're Car Stuff HSW. You can find some additional stories that uh, may not have made it into an audio podcast as well as some stuff that will uh, give a give a little more depth to uh, the understanding of the topics that we're exploring, such as today's episode. And in the meantime, if you've got like the perfect road trip idea or if you have an idea for a topic that we should cover in an upcoming episode of Car Stuff, we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us directly at carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at Viking.com. You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids. No plug needed. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. (laughs) 
You can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified, diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. 